and welcome to Worst Best Sellers, where we read about post-apocalyptic bread so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Year One by Nora Roberts. Joining us to discuss this story of love in the time of doom is co-host of the podcast Truer Words and person with zero post-apocalyptic survival skills, Katherine Benson. Hello. Welcome back, Katherine. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Katherine, of course, is the person who first uh, introduced us to the world of Nora Roberts. Uh, You're which, welcome. Yes, sincerely thank you. Can never thank you <laughs> enough for that. Such a gift. Has has so made up for some of the other really unfortunate things we've had to read for this podcast. Yes. <sighs> Yeah, I know we've said this before. We've read Nora Roberts' books since then. We're going to keep reading them. And I think I just want to start off by by thanking Nora Roberts for for writing so many books that are good. And I think this is kind of the flip side of what our podcast is about. Like, I think a lot of people are like, oh, they're just going to read, like, shitty books and, and make fun of them. And obviously, yes, we do that. But I think the other side of it is we read books that everyone assumes will be bad and then find out that they're not bad. And that mm-hmm. rules. Yes, mm-hmm. it really does. Um, yeah, and I, I think because Nora Roberts partly, and we have talked about this before, you know that romance novels in general get, like, a bad rap. And then just the quantity of it, Nora Roberts has written so many books, and you're like, somewhere in there she's got to just start phoning it in, and they've got to be bad. And I haven't read every one, but I I don't think so. I think she's just, I think she's just doing it. I think she's amazingly consistent. Yes. Like, that's the thing that's mind-boggling. <laughs> Based on the random, random sampling that I have read over the past however many years, like, It's not like I'm trying to read them in order or reverse order. I just pick and choose, and I've never been disappointed. So, And I mean, I think we've read and we'll link to some articles about just kind of her work ethic, how she's just, you know, butt in the chair, just writing, just doing it. And and thank you for that, Nora. Just thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All that said, this is a little bit of a departure for Nora, uh, who mostly writes romance and romantic suspense and some of them have had sort of fantastical elements but this one is just straight up post-apocalyptic slash i don't know which which times i guess like post-apocalyptic fantasy is how i would put it urban Mm -hmm. fantasy yeah that's that's a good description uh and i think i don't think that is her strong suit I'm just going to put that out there. (laughs) I think her strong suit and what holds this book together is that she's so great at developing characters that you care about Mm -hmm. and giving them stakes and just, just these characters and their interactions and their, their loves and their friendships. I loved it. The exact nature of the fantasy is a little bit much for me. Um, And I think, uh, yeah, and there is a sequel. I think it's going to be a trilogy, and so I'm sure that there are some answers coming. But just the basic bones of this, that. I'm like, I don't know about this. <laughs> I am reading the second book, and so far I have found very few answers. Well, of course we have to wait for the third one. For yeah, that. that's true. The whole arc has not revealed itself yet. And without getting too much into the plot, because we'll do that in a couple minutes, like... 
as to her being so good at characters, there are a lot of scenes, like the classic scenes in the post-apocalyptic novels where the survivors are getting together and trying to reform a society. And there is a large stretch of this book that is that, and it's like nothing else. It's just like, well, like we should get together and have a town hall meeting. Like we should do a garden. We should do like... And and I love it. I yeah. want the whole yeah. book to That's be that. That's the best part. <laughs> read a whole book of just like survivors in a post-apocalyptic world trying to figure out what vegetables they should plant. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we gave a shout out to the bread right in the opening. There is a lot of bread baking. There uh, is. Before we pivot away from bread, which sadly we will have to do, a content warning, I guess. There's this book. Our discussion has some sexual assault, some... I mean, a lot of death, a lot of uh, violence, like a lot of things that you might expect in the post-apocalyptic era to be happening. Mm-hmm. And so that said, one thing that I want to say, and I, I've said it before about this type of thing, like I tend not to like or seek out post-apocalyptic fiction, like movies, books, any of it. And I, I say this and I... I don't want to seem like I'm making light. Like, my sincerest thought whenever I read anything like that is, like, if this happens, I'm just going to kill myself. Like, I just don't want... Like, this sounds terrible, and I don't want it, and so I don't like to read it, because that's my mindset the whole ass time. I was just like, ugh, I don't want this. I would just die. I would just die. Um, And just to be clear, that's not how I feel in my normal life. Like, just only the post-apocalyptic. I'm like, I'm not (laughs) cut out for this. Please... Let me just end it. And I found it sort of, this is fucked up to say, I found it sort of refreshing that there were characters in this book who responded the same way. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's not something that comes, and I feel like it would. I feel like there would be people who would just leave notes that were like, I'm out, can't deal with this, goodbye. And like that happens, and I appreciated it. But then I also appreciated that everyone else was like, no, we're going to build our bread society. And I was like, okay, I guess that sounds fine. Yeah, that's something that I definitely appreciate it, too, because I'm the same way. Like, I used to joke to, like, my friends, like, oh, if there's ever, like, a zombie apocalypse, please sacrifice me to save yourselves. (laughs) It'll maybe slow them down a little bit. Because I I can barely function in my high-technology society life now. Like, I, I cannot even imagine trying to function in a completely broken down post-apocalyptic society. And it made me think, too, there's not a ton. I don't read a ton of post-apocalyptic stuff either for the same reason. But the one thing that I did think of was um, in the movie 28 Days Later, the main character is as a character is always obligated to do in every post-apocalyptic movie, trying to make his way to his parents' house to see if they're okay. And once Mm -hmm. he gets there, they also have killed themselves and left a note basically being like, this is fucked, like, we can't do this. Which is, the they were the characters I related to the most in that movie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I generally feel the same way about post-apocalyptic narratives, fiction, books, and movies, but that was before I knew that there would be lasagna and herb gardens in the apocalypse. Right. And now I'm not so sure. <laughs> yes, like, this gives me hope. Mm-hmm. So that's, I guess, our basic opinions about the post-apocalypse in general, and maybe we can dive into the specifics of this one. Uh, First of all, it's... Okay. First, first of all, this book is dedicated, quote, for Logan, for the advice. Uh, So this... 
that's Wolverine, obviously. Nora Roberts has consulted with Wolverine for survival skills tips, and that's canon. That's <laughs> uh, second of all, this book starts off with with a sense that like this magic isn't maybe going to quite add up because we have a, a family like um like t- adult brothers and their wives and their friends on a on a hunting trip and they're ringing in it's their new year's eve tradition they go on this hunting trip and there's this like weird aside about how he didn't realize he was bringing in the end of the world when he like cut his finger and accidentally dropped blood on a circle of stones in the woods anyway and never really revisited that that's something i think maybe would come back later um and i know he is he is and then he is related to other characters so maybe but anyway my favorite part of this opening scene that establishes it is uh they are hunting and they catch a pheasant and this old man is like oh, let's all take a picture. And then he pulls out a selfie stick and his friends are like, oh, you're always so prepared, old man with a selfie stick. (laughs) And it was, like, really charming. And then they all died. (laughs) It was, so Renata, I don't, uh, I guess if you listen to this podcast, you might know that Renata and I just took a very quick, bizarre trip to L.A. for three days. And Renata started reading this on the plane and I hadn't started it yet. And she, like leaned over and tapped me on the shoulder to point out to me that magic in this book is spelt with a K. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because I know Kate usually listens on audio, and obviously magic and magic sound the same, but uh, this is fully magic with a K throughout. Yeah, I think I also tapped you on the shoulder to point out the selfie stick, because yes. I had brought a selfie stick on our trip, but I had forgotten, <laughs> I don't use it very often, I do own one, but it was from my old phone, and it plugs into a headphone jack, and my new phone doesn't have a headphone jack, and my selfie stick is useless, just like technology, just like all technology in the post-apocalypse. Mm-hmm. No <laughs> selfie sticks after the apocalypse. No, you just gotta, just gotta sketch it out just gotta do self portraits Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh anyway there's a lot of names i don't know that we need to keep them track but uh ross and angie are the parents of katie who's gonna come back and ross is the man with the selfie stick and ross is the the one who accidentally bleeds into the stone circle and then he gets sick it seems like it's a flu it's not, it's called The Doom. He goes to the hospital and just, like, dies immediately. His wife Angie dies. Uh, After they fly from Scotland to the U.S. and infect a whole bunch of people. Yeah, yes. and they do that classic sort of, like, infection book thing where it's, like, you know, at the airport, he bought a coffee from this person and she went home and infected, like, her daughter who was leaving that day to go to California and on the way she infected 18 more people and kind of tracking how quickly, which is also kind of horrifying just in a general sense of maybe one day we're all going to die from a biological weapon. That Yeah, I firmly believe that. You know, this is how quickly it can spread in an international world where everyone's at airports all the time going everywhere. Yeah, we're all going to die. Uh, and most of most of these people do. And so I, this is something I thought was very well done in very Nora Roberts, where it's like, I, I liked these people. I was attached to them enough to be like, oh, man, when they died. But I wasn't, like, devastated yet. You know what I mean? Like, it was just yeah. sort of a good, a good start to this. Yeah. 
But so Katie, who is the daughter of Ross and Angie, the traveling virus carriers, mm-hmm. is also pregnant with twins. And keep that in mind, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and they've heard about we've heard about that too because they're like, oh, we have to get home. Our daughter's pregnant, and like normally she would come on this annual family trip, but she's pregnant, so she couldn't travel. Then they die. Yes. Um, And the person who brings them to the hospital via ambulance is an EMT named Jonah. And Jonah has a special power where when he looks at someone, he can tell if they're near death or going to die, Mm -hmm. which is tragic for him in his life as a paramedic, because sometimes he'll get to the scene and know that no matter what he does, the person will die. And that's how he feels when he picks up Ross and Angie. Yeah. Also at the hospital is the doctor who treats Ross and Angie is named Rachel, and Jonah has a crush on her, and she's a very good, compassionate doctor, unlike the mean doctor who they barely miss having to deal with. Yeah, that mean doctor has bad bedside manner, but Rachel is nice. Yes. Cut to... Lena and Max, who are sex witches. <laughs> <laughs> or Lana, Lana, or Lana. Can't you listen to the audio? What's her name? Lana. Lana, okay. So yeah, like literally, they're they're just like horny sex witches, and they have amazing sex. And then, and then Max is like, okay, now let's practice our other magic, like light this candle with your mind. And it's just <laughs> sort of like, this is a casual thing that they do for fun sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and in uh, their day job, she's a chef and he's a fantasy writer whose yes. first novel was called The Wizard King. Yes. And when when they have sex this time, it feels like special extra sex. Like after she orgasms, she has like a second crazy orgasm of light. Uh-huh. Is, <laughs> uh-huh. Or something, I don't know. It's like extra special sex. Uh And it's only after this extra special sex that she finds she can light the candle with her mind. When before, she always had to kind of struggle for it. And now it's super easy. Yeah, it's so easy that she's like, Max, you did it just so that I would think that I I had done it. And he didn't. It was sex magic. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, then, so cut away from them. And everyone's dead. And the outside world. Oh, I forgot if I said they're they're all in New York City now. Various places yeah. in New York City. Yes. And everyone's dying from this yes. doom, as they have dubbed it. They're trying to convince everyone it's a strain of bird flu, but no birds or animals are infected. It's just humans, and it's spreading super fast. And the CDC keeps making these statements that they're close to a virus, but no one believes To a cure, it. to a vaccine. To a vaccine, yes, to a vaccine, not a virus. They're yeah. already at virus the virus present. Stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we we see things like um, now the Secretary of Agriculture is the president because everybody above her and the order of secession is dead. And we check in at a news station where Ar- Arlis? Arlis. 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 Arlis had been like a minor intern or like substitute newswoman, and now she's like the main news anchor because everyone's dead. And uh, Fred is it little Fred? 
is a woman named Little Fred, is an intern, and she comes in. There's, like, a handful of people running the station so they can get the news out. And the news every day is just like, well, everyone's dead. But she has been under-reporting it. Like, even though the news is everyone's dead, like, I think she's been saying, like, 20% of the population is dead, and it's really maybe more like 70%. Because they're still getting some, like, press releases and stuff from like the government and they're saying like oh like only a billion people are dead and then uh arliss has a special secret source chuck who is a hacker who is telling her all this other secret stuff basically one of the lone gunmen from the x-files yes yes and he's passing along information like actually two billion people are dead and maybe more and the government doesn't want you to know that they don't have a vaccine and all of this stuff, but warns her that she can't broadcast it because if she does, uh, the government is rounding up people who are immune and people who are starting to exhibit special powers, uh, which is a thing that's happening also now. Yes. Uh, so he tells her that she can't report on it because if she does the government will come for her and if she does report on it it has to be her last broadcast and gives her specific instructions of where to go and how to get out of the city to escape after she makes that broadcast and like she knows his information is good because he's told her things that have been confirmed like he told her about the secretary of agriculture becoming president before it was officially announced Mm -hmm. and then some other things like that Anyway, this New York City is devolved into like rioting and chaos and this and um people are called raiders and they're like, I don't know, street gangs who go around like looting but also just like terrorizing people. And this is a part that I didn't like and that I don't like in this kind of thing where I just it seems like such a high percentage of people just like immediately went to this and maybe I'm like naive, but I just I don't know. So many people would go straight to that, would they? I yeah, know. I mean, I feel the same way. Like, there's that joke that occasionally will go around Twitter when there's a new Purge movie where it's like, what would you do with the Purge? And everyone's like, you know, I would get rid of my student loans or, <laughs> you know, yeah. shoplift a dress that I really want. Like, no one jumps straight yeah. to murder. <laughs> Right, or, like, even if you look at, like, Hurricane Katrina, where there were people like, oh, Mm -hmm. no, these, like, looters, and I was like, oh, you're actually just being racist, and those people were trying to get diapers for their children. Right, I feel like there was a missing piece of narrative here where there needed to be some other motivation for all of this, like, chaos, because if... it, It seemed crazy to me that people would be, like, looting and leaving their homes unnecessarily when all you would really want to do in this situation is just, like, quarantine yourself. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess... uh, So there's the uncannies who are, like, good witches, and then the dark uncannies who are, like, the bad witches and witch-adjacent things, and we'll get into that. And so I guess I would get it for those people, like, whatever Mm -hmm. dark magic is compelling them or something. But a lot of these are just, like, normal humans being shitty. Yeah. Right. Unless it's meant to be implied that the dark and candies are like making them do it, but I that wasn't clear, and I think no. it was just that they were being shitty. And even within the just humans being shitty, like there is a very specific subset of these are people who are panicked that the end days are coming because of what happened, and they are they are different than just the regular people who are going around and murdering and raping and killing for no reason, like. 
I because I, I can I can kind of I can't but I can understand a sort of like well you know it's the apocalypse just like church always told me like nothing matters anymore yeah but that seems to even be a separate group from these people who are like oh no there's just a subsection of the population who like murdering for fun yeah like a large percentage yes anyway so that's all happening Max and Max and Lana decide Max has been going out to get to supplies and he's been sort of hiding the extent to which everyone is being shitty from Lana but he's like okay we got to get out of the city um we'll go try to find Max's brother who's um in the Alleghenies at like a vacation cottage yeah at at his college uh, he was at college and he and his friends he was with a group of friends who were all immune and one of them was like, oh, my parents have a cabin in the middle of nowhere and it's fully stocked. So they all made that their destination, that they would find this cabin and they would meet up there. How does he know? Well, because, because Max's magic is not only sex magic, but also technology magic. Oh. And so he has been like magically boosting cell phone signals to get <laughs> and stuff like that. So he was able to, okay. com- even though most communication is down, he was able to get through to his brother because of literal magic with a cat. Okay, I didn't remember that part. I remembered it because it's bonkers. But <laughs> uh, so. They they get out of the city. There's some scenes of them like having to fight people, and people been like. And then Lana uses her magic, which is way stronger now than it used to be. She uses her magic to like shove some people away, and then they're like, "Oh shit! Like she's an uncanny, and let's like really kill her before like before we only kind of wanted to kill her. Now we like really want to." And I think this is the first point where we hear the word uncanny being used, yeah. without X Men following it. And on their way out, they also, they reach a point where they have gotten out of the city and they need to stop for gas. And when they stop, they run into a man and a dog. The man is Eddie and the dog is Joe. And at first, they're very cautious of him because they've had so much trouble with people who are bad. But it turns out that, like, he's good and kind and just, like, he doesn't even, like, he he is from a place where like everybody was taught hunting as a child but he always hated hunting that's how kind he is yes he's like from the pure hills of west virginia or something yes he Mm -hmm. he was raised in the country and yes he's a he's a gentle stoner and i love him i love him too and his dog joe so they add joe and Eddie to their caravan as they continue to go to where Max's brother is. By the way, as far as we know, the dog is fine. Yes, yes, the dog is fine. Like, th- throughout the book, dog and is fine. And then there's another dog later who also is fine. And also yeah, is a wolf. No, yes. no animals are harmed except for one animal later, but it's not a key animal. Yes. <laughs> and also, I guess, the bird at the beginning that kind of set this all off. Oh, but, yeah, right. good point. But so they, they keep going. Uh, Eddie is not an uncanny, but he is real chill with the fact that they are, especially after they stop at a gas station and they go to get supplies and a guy shoots at them and he shoots Eddie and Lana is able to summon magic to start healing him. She doesn't have enough magic to heal him all the way, but she's able to start to close up the bullet wound and stop the bleeding. So Mm -hmm. he's kind of like, okay, like, I'm extra cool with magic now because I'm not dead. Mm -hmm. 
then uh, Jonah and Rachel are like, they're back at the hospital, they're doctors, most people are dead, they're like, this is kind of pointless, like, people are immune or they're not, we should just get out of the city now. Uh, Katie comes in to give birth to her twins, and they're fine, Jonah delivers the twins, and they're fine, even though all everyone else in their family is dead. Uh, then we go to Arlise and Fred, who also have are trying to get supplies and stuff. And she, Fred is like, she's described as little Fred. She's like a very dainty lady and everyone's protective of her. It turns out she's a fairy and she has wings and like light powers. And she's also been like protecting the studio and gathering food for the studio. Like she's been the one providing all of their supplies and they seemingly like thought it was slightly weird, but didn't really question the fact that they're like, 20-year-old intern was the one who was able to gather all the stuff for them and like right. brave the murderous streets. Uh, it turns out that uh, Fred is connected to this whole like underground of good people who have like a abandoned marketplace type thing that they have where you'd like take what you need and it's on the honor system and they know Fred knows special symbols that she can draw on things that mm, keep somehow. bad people away. So like she drew them on the the studio and that's why they realize eventually the studio was never raided was because she drew these special symbols that mean like don't see us or something. So are we supposed to understand that Fred was already like dabbling in magic with a K before the apocalypse and that's how she knows these symbols and knows this stuff or did she learn it from this network of people? I think the latter, but it's not okay. clear and I think this is sort of an example of how how shrug emoji the the magical world building here is. Mm -hmm. Cuz like yeah. Max and Lana yes, we're doing magic pre-doom, but a lot of people weren't. And so Fred because there's a part where Fred, like, reveals her wings and she's like, cool, right? It turns out I'm a fairy. Whereas, in my mind, a fairy is, like, a separate being. Like, you would be a fairy your whole life. Or, like, or an elf. Like, people are elves. And I feel like that's a whole separate thing. You don't just become an elf. But I guess you do. So what do I, what do I know? Well, maybe she was, like, already had the qualities of a fairy without knowing that she was a fairy her whole life. But the maybe wings. something in the virus like activated it in her DNA. I, I think mm -hmm. that's sort of what's implied, but like But never remember, it's only implied. <laughs> it's never explained. It's sort of it's sort of like she was dainty and competent already and then that turns out to be the qualities of, of a fairy. A fairy. Yes. <laughs> yep. Anyway, the old so Arlise has been filling in for news anchor because everyone else is dead. It turns out the old news anchor wasn't dead, um, and he comes back in and he's like raving. He's like, "Oh, you bitch! Like you took my job. It didn't take you long to take my job." Blah 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 blah. I'm a man and I'm the worst. And then he talks about how um, everything's fucked. The virus is terrible. Then he just like fucking kills himself on air, like a foot away from Arlise. And then she decides that's, like, the end point for her. And so she gives her final newscast splattered in this guy's blood. And she's like, you know what? He's actually right, though. I have secret news that the virus is worse than we know. Blah, blah, blah. I'm out. And then so she gives that last news report. She and Fred also leave the city uh, following the tips they'd gotten from Hacker Chuck. 
it's gross. They have to go through the path tunnels, which are full of raiders and shitty people doing shitty things. Yeah, that part was really scary. If you're unaware, the path train is the train that connects Hoboken to Lower Manhattan. Um, and I think there's one at like 23rd Street, too, or something. But it, it connects New Jersey to Manhattan via like a, a sort of subway offshoot. Yeah, and um, the so trains aren't running anymore. Yeah, um, so they're going underground, under the river, crossing all the way from Manhattan to New Jersey. So it's not a short walk. No, and throughout the whole rest of the book, people keep saying, you walked through the path tunnels, and they're amazed because there's all sorts of really horrifying things happening underground. Yeah, it's bad. It's very gross. It's gross from a dead people are around perspective it's gross from a evil creatures who are trying to rape and murder you perspective it is everything about it is bad i will admit that i largely skimmed those portions because i was like i don't need to read this Mm -hmm. um but they do arliss and fred do make it through the path tunnels um they are able to escape and meet up with chuck who has been hiding out in this like underground apartment that his uncle had that's like high tech and full of all the cutting edge stuff he seems to have a lot of family money and just like a really well equipped bunker yeah he was like a high tech doomsday prepper and it turns out he was correct yes um oh also so these chapters like there's sort of subsections of the book we had been in escape subsection and now once they meet up with Chuck, then we move into survival subsection. Just yes. for the record. That's where we're at now. We're at survival. So Chuck and Fred and Arliss have a Humvee that they have prepped with all of their stuff. And they head out. And simultaneous to that, uh, Jonah and Rachel and Katie and the twins know that they need to leave too. And one of Jonah's co-workers had a boat. So his idea is that they can take the boat and get to New Jersey that way. And uh, there's another baby at the hospital who they name Hannah because her mother died right after she was delivered from the virus, but the baby seems to be immune. So and now Hannah, was, Hannah was the dead mother's name. Yes. So now there's three babies, and Jonah, Rachel, and Katie, and they uh, take their boat across the river and end up also in Hoboken and bump into... Chuck and Fred and Arliss because Jonah and Rachel and Katie get stuck at a place where like a whole bunch of cars are blocking the road but then Chuck and Fred and Arliss show up in the Humvee and they're able to clear the path so that they can get through and after they kind of like drive together in a caravan for a little while they're like well we have nowhere to go why don't we just all stick together uh, because they are headed to Ohio to see if any of Arliss's family is still alive. Uh, then we check back in with Max and Lana. Things are sort of going south for the crew at the cabin because Max and Lana, like, they're older and they're kind of like, hey, this is uh, the apocalypse. We need to, like, ration. We need to count out what food we have and make a plan. And they're all like, you're not our real mom. Well, a couple of them are. So it's it's uh, Eric and his friends, Sean, whose cabinet is, who's very scared and a nerd. Those are his two mm-hmm. defining qualities. Uh, there is Kim, who is smart and nice and Asian, and those mm-hmm. are her qualities. Mm-hmm. And what's the Joe? Jo- Tom? What's the Joe's name the that? dog. 
the the <laughs> football player. It doesn't matter. Yeah, um, Poe. Po. Yes, oh, there's yeah. Poe. Uh, he's a football player, and he is like chill, and those are his qualities. And then Eric has a girlfriend, Allegra, who is like kind of whiny, and Lana immediately doesn't like the moment she meets her, but she thinks that it's just because like she's upset about the situation um, but that feeling doesn't go away so Max and Lana are very much like we need to do an inventory we need to keep track of the food etc etc um, but especially um, Eric and Allegra are like that's stupid like why do we need to do that and Sean to a degree as well yeah Sean's Whereas, like it's my house and there's plenty of stuff here and they're like there's really not though yeah, and Poe and Kim are much more like, no, you're right, we were considering doing that before you arrived. So it turns out they only have, like, two weeks' worth of food, so Lana makes this, like, whole inventory of how to feed people and how much food people are allowed and how much electricity people are allowed, and they realize one day that there's food missing and the propane tank is way emptier than it should be, and when they confront everyone in the house, it turns out that it's Eric, Allegra, and Sean who are stealing the food, and Sean apologizes and feels really bad. And Allegra and Eric sort of apologize, but mostly are still upset that people mm-hmm. would uh, people would accuse them of doing the thing that they actually did. Mm-hmm. It seems at this point like the main conflict is between people who understand that this is a long-term situation mm-hmm. that they have to survive mm-hmm. and then people who are still expecting it to be fixed somehow. Yes. And, like, they just need to wait out a couple weeks and then everything will be fine. Yes. And we also have seen that Max and Eric have always had sort of a slightly contentious brother relationship, and Eric has developed his own magic powers, too, and so Max is trying to be like, hey, cool, like, let me teach you a little bit about magic, and they're they're trying to do that. Yes, and also, while all this is going on, on a walk with Joe, Eddie finds this really creepy, like, magic circle in the woods where something has been sacrificed, and it's all gross and black and filled with blood. So Lana and Max do, like, this weird healing ritual with him that cleanses it and brings back the light. Mm-hmm. But, like, they, it's very close to where the cabin is, so they're like, oh bad magic is here somewhere and we don't know what it could be foreshadowing (laughs) Mm -hmm. um also in this time lana starts having a feeling that she's pregnant and uh she asks she doesn't want to say it to max yet in case she is wrong so she asks eddie to go into town and get a pregnancy test for her and he he and Eric both go into the town to get supplies, but Eddie has the secret pregnancy test mission. They meet there an elf named Flynn, who has a pet wolf, because that's what's happening. <laughs> and he also, like, runs a grocery store. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he's, like, 12, and he can tell that they're good. Uh, and his power, as an elf, his power is that he can, I guess, read other people's minds and intentions. Uh, so since yes. he knows that they're good, he doesn't attack them. And they offer to let him come back up with them to the cabin, and he says, no, he's fine here. Um, so they leave him, but let him know like what cabin they're staying at, and that he should come if he needs to. Um, and he gives them a truck full of propane. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so they get back and they, Eric and Allegra apologize for being shitheads and promise to be better. And Lana finds out she actually is pregnant by not taking the pregnancy test, but by like literally taking it out of the box and magic goes around it. And when she looks down, it already says, yes, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when she shows it to Max later, the same thing happens. Like his magic comes out. <laughs> It says that it, that she's pregnant. It's just it's it's great. <laughs> yep. Um, and then it seems like it seems like things are better. Like she's pregnant. People are chill. But then Eddie goes out for another walk with the dog, and he finds what he describes as a Blair Witch situation in the woods. <laughs> and they go, um, L- Lana and Max go look at it, and they're like, "Holy shit! It is a Blair Witch situation." It turns out. That, um, oh, Allegra and Eric are bad witches and they've been doing bad dark magic this whole time and just like toying with them. And they really hate the light magic of Lana and Max. And especially like Lana hasn't told anyone besides Eddie and Max that she's pregnant, but Allegra knows it and they like hate the baby. And so they try to do this dark magic attack thing, they kill Sean. Everyone else gets away. It seems that they have managed to vanquish Allegra and Eric with their light magic. And, you know, that's kind of traumatic because, like, Max killed his brother. Who right. Was they, think, him. they think that Eric and Allegra are gone forever. Yes. Yes. Spoiler. Um, spoiler, spoiler, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So they they leave. They know that they, like, have to leave now. So they flee the the house. They were already planning, like, getting ready to leave anyway, but they, like, flee immediately without even stopping to really pack, and they go back down to the town, and they go to Flynn and his wolf and say, like, hey, bad shit is happening. You need to get out of town. Like, you should come with us. And he's like, okay, like, we were just waiting. And then, like, it turns out there's, like, 30 other people who are living in this town, mostly kids, and several farm animals. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they were just waiting for Lana and Max to say, like, time to go, because... And they they, know about Lana's baby. They do know about Lana's baby. And their whole caravan sets out. And uh, meanwhile, Arliss and Fred and Chuck and Jonah and Rachel and Katie and the babies and everyone have gotten Arliss's town in Ohio, and her parents and brother are tragically dead, but her neighbor, across the street neighbor, is still alive. And they realize that they should go somewhere further south where they can, like, because Ohio is cold and it's the end of winter or it's getting to winter or something, so they decide they need it's to like find February. Some, yeah. Um, they need to find somewhere where they can farm and shit. So they take Bill, they convince Bill to come with them because that way they can drive more cars with more supplies. And they head south and eventually end up in a town in West Virginia that they rechristen New Hope. Mm-hmm. And this is the best part of the book. Uh-huh. Yes. yes. It's very, it's very strange satisfying it for me it's soothed i've talked before about how i love a boring historical details book where it's just like yes kneading the bread making the garden like this is Mm -hmm. how we do things and there's just a lot of that to just really dive into 
Yeah, for like several for like several chapters. Yes, and it it cuts sort of to when they have already established themselves a little bit. So it's a lot of like here, you know, they had done a library, and this is what they had done for it. And there was a hospital where where Rachel and Jonah were, and they had like a census going, and they kept track of everybody who moved in and like helped clean out houses. And then um, there's like a community garden and like classes about how to I don't know weave baskets or do other things that are critical to your survival mm-hmm. it's just very soothing to read yes <laughs> and here's where I want to they do a town census to figure out like how many people are there and also what kinds of magical creatures there are and here I have prepared for you a full list of types of magical creatures aka uncannies that there are <laughs> There's witches slash wizards slash sorcerers, which are together. There's fairies. There's elves. There's shapeshifters. There's prophets. And there's seers. Prophets and seers are different. Don't know Mm -hmm. how. Don't know why. Um, There's alchemists, telekinetics, and then there's Jonah. (laughs) But wouldn't Jonah be like a seer or a prophet? Because he's seeing the future. I guess. But his death, I guess it's very specific. Like, he's not listed specifically as one of those kinds of things, but I was just like, his death touch seems like a different thing. <laughs> but it's just like, those are different types of thing. Like, to me, you could have something featuring, like, elves, fairies, witches, sure, or, like, shapeshifters, an alchemist, I don't know. Like, this seems to be sort of, like, three different big categories of things, and to me, in my fantastic world building, I feel like you should only be able to pick one of those categories, and then you get <laughs> Do those Do we ever things. see an example of alchemy happening? No, it's just casually listed that some of the people in New Hope are alchemists. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> in the census. Okay, sure. And that, I feel like, was, like, Nora being, like, gotta write the census. I don't know. What are some more things <laughs> there could be? Alchemists? Sure. Uh, anyway, bread. <laughs> she, does, so- she does not plan ahead, and that's why I love her. So things in the town are mostly idyllic, except there are a couple magical racists who live on the outskirts of town who kind of clearly don't like the magical people. Um, They don't like the uncannies. They, like, say snotty things about them. At one point, like, a couple guys confront this woman, but luckily, like, a couple other people are able to intervene and save her. So they decide they're going to have a town meeting and kind of start to put together laws for the town. And that day, Max and Lana and their whole group, which is now like a hundred people, shows up at New Hope. Uh, So they all get settled and um, they have, they postpone the town meeting, I think, for a little while. And they... In the meanwhile, like, Lana starts giving cooking lessons, and Max helps the electricians get electricity and internet restored, and they, like, do their okay, living. I had great. some questions about how this whole town was working with no electricity, because it seems like they're using their kitchens and, like, their water filtration system is working, and they have indoor plumbing, and yet I just had a lot of some confusion about um, how exactly any of this was taking place if the power grid was still entirely offline. Listen, I mean, if no have... one knows how electricity works. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we but use we it. use it. Yes. But also, 
So I I was in the Peace Corps and we didn't have electricity a lot of the time. And so Mm -hmm. I can tell you if you have a gas stove, that'll work without electricity if you have matches. You can, like, manually flush a toilet if you... Right. Like, you you wouldn't have the pump to bring water up through your sink, but you could at least, like, flush a toilet um, if you have that. But I feel like they're, like, taking showers and... I mean, they're, they're, I just have questions. That's okay, though. It yeah. It have to make sense. Yeah. Um, there's Anyway, there's things you can do without electricity, but Max gives them electricity so then they can do more things. Yeah. So they decide to capitalize on that good fortune to have their town meeting finally. And when they do, they propose, like, the new laws and stuff. But they first, they start off by, like, talking about all the great things that have happened in the town. But the magical racists are, like, real snotty about it whenever a magical person has made it happen. And when they propose the laws, the magical racists, like, lose their fucking minds. And they're like, you have to vote. You can't just make us use laws. Like, we have to vote right now if we should use these laws or not, which is stupid because it's very clear the majority of the people in that room are super pro the laws. But somehow these magical racists are shocked when they put it to a vote and only like nine out of 300 people are against the laws. Yeah, they're You know what? Racists are dumb. They are. Um, Mm -hmm. So a bunch of them like leave in a huff. Like not like nine of them leave in a huff. Yes, especially racists who are named after Karl Rove. Yes, yes. his name is Kurt Rove with a, with a K. <laughs> um, so everything's going great, and they decide to have a big celebration for Fourth of July to kind of be like, "Hey, like we're doing okay." And in the meantime, the internet has gotten back up and working again, and Chuck warns them that there's this preacher who is trying to recruit what he calls purity warriors to mm-hmm. murder uncannies and anyone else who they think isn't good enough for their new world. So they're, like, mildly concerned about that, but they're, like, parties! So they throw this big 4th of July party, and in the midst of it, the Purity war- Warriors attack their town. But it's not just the Purity Warriors. Eric and Allegra are there because they didn't really die. Yeah, it's a full surprise bitch situation. And uh, they kill Max, R.I.P., R.I.P. Uh, Lana gets away. Yeah, she's she's able to, like, banish them. Like, she's able to hurt them enough that they flee again. But she knows she can't stay there because if she does... Because I had to go back and read this, like, three times because I couldn't understand why she left if they were gone. But she feels like she puts everyone in the town at risk because they are very obviously after her baby. And so if she wants to protect the, the town, she needs to leave. Yeah. Yeah, the baby is called The One. Also, Lana keeps having prophecies where she just, like, speaks and says, like, old-timey prophecy stuff. And she's like, <laughs> oh, that's the baby speaking through me. Um, <laughs> that's my summary of Lana's prophecies. Um <laughs> The prophecies, I don't know why, but I found them to be completely hilarious. Well, like, especially if you imagine that it's coming from a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, then, by the way, we never follow back up with the town. So I, I imagine, or we can get, let's get through the end of this, and then I'll say, I don't know what happened to anyone else in the town, but maybe Catherine does because you're reading the second Oh, book. yes. I, I have some ideas. She's on the run. 
And she, Arliss, uh, Lana's on the run, not Arliss. Arliss is still in the town. And she, it's been like several weeks and she is just like focused on protecting her baby and getting away from the purity warriors and keeping everyone safe. And uh, one day she ends up, one day a bunch of, she hears a bunch of them coming and is able to hide. And she knows it's like two of the ones from her that attacked the town including one that she scarred very badly, who, like, really just wants to murder her super bad. So she goes in the opposite direction and finds this farm, and she sees the farmer leave and decides, like, he probably won't notice if she takes just, like, a couple of his vegetables. And the farm is beautiful, by the way. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's, like, the most idyllic place imaginable. It turns out that he had not really left. He had saw her, but wasn't sure if she was going to be good or bad or how she would react to being confronted. So he like drove up the hill to make it look like he left. But really, he doesn't mind if she takes some food and like he invites her to come in and sleep for a little while. And she's very confused by like his good feelings especially when he finds out she's a witch and also pregnant but he's like no like you can stay as long as you need to like how if you really want to give me something in return like help out around the house so she does and she cooks for him and shit and and the whole the whole arc of her going from her husband being murdered by evil witches to her finding this new idyllic farm staffed by like an ex-army ranger dude who can protect her is literally one chapter. (laughs) Yeah. It's a matter of pages. Yeah. Um, So Chuck is trying very hard. Not Chuck. What the fuck is his name? Simon. Simon. Simon is trying very hard to like not fall in love with her even though she's very pretty because you know, he's supposed to protect her and she just lost her husband and she's pregnant and it's not appropriate. But he has to deliver her baby, uh, which is another prophecy that she gives that, like, he's going to be the one to deliver her baby after a stroke of lightning during a storm, which happens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So he delivers her and after they, they kind of, they name the baby something... They named the baby Fallon, which is Max's last name. Yes. And then she gives the baby the last Simon's last name. I in my notes I put Fallon Simon, which is wrong. I just realized it's whatever Simon's last name is, which is infuriating. You've yes. named the the girl savior of mankind after two men. And in this post-apocalyptic world, by the way, the present is still the female secretary of agriculture. Rachel appears to be the only doctor left. Arliss is like the solely responsible for getting the country's news grid back online with some help from Chuck and the magic babies. Like basically women are completely running this post-apocalyptic society or they have the potential to if they defeat the like online, uh, you know, purity warrior misogynists, race, magic racists. And yet the savior has to be named after two men, not just one man's last name, two men's last name. Although I did just look, um, Simon's full name is Simon Swift, so the baby is Fallon Swift. So I'm actually just going to headcanon that she named her baby after Taylor Swift. Yes, okay. (laughs) Frankly, I feel better about that. Yeah, so uh, after they're living happily together for a little while, and then a stranger shows up at the farm one night, and 
he like knows things about them like he knows the baby's name and he promises that he's just there to like pay his respects or pay his to worship at the baby's feet or whatever mm-hmm. and they let him in he, and he fasted for three days to purify himself to meet the baby <laughs> yes so they let him in and he essentially says like she's gonna live with you for 13 years but when she turns 13 like I'm going to become her trainer and train her in how to defeat the bad guys and like says a bunch of things that implies that that imply that Lana and Simon that implies that uh, Lana and Simon are together and at that point they're kind of like oh like I didn't want to say anything and Lana's like no I'm super in love with you now so then they are together and they have this baby to raise for 13 years and then the book ends yep yep and there is a book two there will be a book three and book two I actually have I'm not very far into it, but so far it does pick right up, not exactly where this book ends, but a few years after and sort of gives like a fast forward overview of Fallon's childhood. And then we do also meet back up with the people in New Hope who are also surviving. Are they okay? They're okay. And they're all pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Can't wait to read book two. (laughs) Book two, by the way, we'll link to this. We don't have time to get into all of the book two is called. um, uh, Is it just of blood and bone? Blood and bone. Of blood and bone. Yeah. Of blood and bone. Yeah. So there's a, a YA fantasy book that I actually really like called children of blood and bone. And the author of that, angrily accused Nora Roberts of stealing her title mm-hmm. and like it was like I can't believe like people are going to try to capitalize off my success and it's like I'm sh- I'm sure that you really did have to struggle to get published but like Nora Roberts doesn't need doesn't need this also but. you can't copyright a title also it's not even the same title many and books and have the one same of them is that original yeah Right, exactly. Yeah, blood and bone are, like, not things that you can copyright. They're just things that we're all carrying around with us all the time. And blank and blank is sort of like a... I mean, both of those books, I'm sure, are great. I haven't read either... Well, I started the Nora Rottweiss one. I haven't read the other one. I have nothing against either of those books. But, like, blank thing and blank thing is sort of like a fantasy novel slash YA title generator yeah, Noun a of Noun bit. of Noun is definitely, <laughs> yeah. like, the new hip way to title mm-hmm. your fantasy book. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, just wanted to get that out there. We'll post a link so. if you missed it the first time around, because it was a lot. And Nora Roberts posted, like, a just masterclass and shade response on her blog mm-hmm. that I liked Yeah, there was much. some intense conversation on the internet about this topic. Mm-hmm. Yes. But so generally, despite the fact that I don't normally like books like this, I did really enjoy it. The parts that I enjoyed the least were when people died or bad things happened. Yeah, the, um, the part that I enjoyed the least was the apocalypse, and the part that uh-huh. I enjoyed the most was the post. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I feel like, actually, the part, I even less than the apocalypse, when they attacked the town, like, that was really... If I had been reading this for pleasure, I might not have kept going just because, A, I am fucking an emotionally fragile sh- nutcase, which we all know. 
Um, and I was just not, like, emotionally, even though I knew something bad had to happen, I was not emotionally prepared for, like, a wonderful, beautiful thing is happening, and now people are getting murdered and and hurt and injured, and it was just very upsetting to me. But overall, like, I, for all I say that I don't like post-apocalyptic novels, one of my favorite books of all time is Stephen King's The Stand, um, which is very, I mean, obviously all these, like, a virus destroys most of the world books are very similar, but there are a lot of beats from this that were very clearly kind of inspired by The Stand and other books like this. So there were, like, some direct parallels that I could draw, and that was fun. Mm-hmm. But Yeah. I probably would not have read past the first chapter if I wasn't reading this for like for podcast reasons. <laughs> I Same. probably would have put it down because the beginning, the first few chapters where they're describing the onset of the plague of the virus are very, I mean, I'm sure that they're not as graphic as like real uh, sci-fi dystopia on this topic mm-hmm. would be but like as somebody who mostly goes to Nora Roberts yeah for our Nora Roberts book there's way more bloody diarrhea than I'm accustomed to <laughs> exactly exactly and I actually my so I usually pass Nora Roberts books between me and my mom and my aunt which I think is kind of a common thing like mm-hmm. this is something that you know, Nora is enjoyed across generations. Yes. And when this book initially came out about a year ago, um, my mom bought it and read the first chapter and basically like threw it away. She was like, I'm not reading this. This is not the Nora Roberts that I want to read. Um, yeah. And so I never read it. Like she told me what it was about. And I was like, I don't think that's I think that's one I can skip. So when I looked online, I have noticed that there is a lot of contention like on Goodreads or on Amazon over this book because Nora's faithful readers are like so put off by the first few chapters even though I feel like the rest of the book really does read like a Nora Roberts book it really does yeah I think I think this is Nora's response to like the current political climate and I think something in her has like snapped and she's like you know what like we need witches in the plague to just come and erase our current leadership and and let the lady secretary of agri- agriculture rebuild us. It feels a little silly too, just because it's not like it's not like this is George R. R. Martin that we're talking about, where it's like, well, this is the only Nora book we're going to get for ten years, right? Right. Like she, she also published like three years. <laughs> yeah. Especially the purity warriors thing and like mm-hmm. when they reboot the internet and it's all just like a cesspool of, you know, the alt-right more or less. Like that is very clearly Nora directly responding to like what's happening right now. Yes. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Nora's politics next week or two weeks from now. Mm. Yes when we do our next Nora episode. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, let's, um, I guess let's move on to our dramatic readings at this point. All right, so first up, we're going to give you some of that sex magic you've all been wanting. Uh, And Kate will be Lana and I'll be Max. And it's going to get real sexy in here. So I am going to read The Sex Magic 
between yeah. Lana and Max. And uh, Renata's going to chime in a little bit later as Max. So yeah, here we baby. go. Across the East River, in a loft in Chelsea, Lana Bingham cried out, soaring on the long, rolling orgasm. As cry slid to moan and moan to sigh, her fingers unclenched from the bed sheets, lifting up so she could wrap her arms around Max as he came. She sighed again, a woman replete and loose and content with her lover's weight on her, her heart still, his heart still drumming its mad beat against hers. She ran her fingers lazily now through his dark hair. He probably needed a trim, but she liked it when it had some length, when she could twine the ends around her fingers. Six months since they'd moved in together, she thought, and it only got better. In the quiet aftermath, she closed her eyes, sighed yet again. Then cried out as something, something wild and wonderful, burst through her, in her, over her. Stronger than the orgasm, deeper and with a ferocious mix of pleasure and shock she'd never be able to describe. Like light exploding, a lightning strike to her center, a flaming arrow to her heart that flashed through all of her. She all but felt her blood glow. On her, still inside her, Max's body jerked. She heard his breath catch even as, for an instant, he hardened again. Then it all quieted, smoothed, soothed to no more than a glimmer behind her eyes until even that faded. Max pushed up on his elbows, looked down at her in the light of a dozen flickering candles. What was that? A little dazed yet, she blew out a long breath. I don't know. The world's biggest postcoital aftershock? He laughed, lowered his head to brush his lips to hers. I think we're going to have to buy another bottle of that new wine we opened. Let's go for a case. Wow. Under him, she stretched, lifting her arms up and back. I feel amazing. And look the same. My pretty, pretty witch. Now she laughed. She knew, as he did, she was a dabbler at best, and was perfectly happy to stay one, to try her hand at little charms and candle rituals, to observe the holidays. Since meeting Max Fallon at a winter solstice festival and falling for him, hard, before Ostera, she had made some attempt to work more seriously on the craft. But she didn't have the spark, and, to be honest, knew few who did. Most, try pretty much all, she knew or met at festivals, rituals, meetings, ranked as dabblers, just as she did. And some were just a little crazy by her gauge. Others were way too obsessed. Some might even hit dangerous if they actually had power. Then, oh yes, then there was Max. He had the spark. Hadn't he lit the, ba- the bedroom candles with his breath, something that always aroused her? And if he really focused, he could levitate small things. Once, he'd floated a full cup of coffee across the kitchen and set it down right on the counter in front of her. Amazing. And he loved her. That was the kind of magic that mattered to Lana above all else. <sighs> until until he died and she moved on like a month later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then she found a new magic. Uh, okay. I'm going to read a little bit to you from the Blair Witch situation. And there's more than three characters involved, so I'm just going to read all the parts. Get ready. 
Did you ever see Blair Witch? You know, like the movie? No, Lana said. As Kim said, sure. I love spooky movies. Eddie comforted Joe with one hand, looking back over his shoulder. Don't like living in one. You know how they had all those symbol things hanging from trees? Yeah, creepy. Well, you want to talk creepy? We've got a shit ton of them back there. Hanging all over the hell. That's what it says. Hanging all over the hell. Sure. (laughs) Off the track we used, but Joe started back that way, and we saw footprints, so we went to check it out. All these symbols, like, what is it? He drew in the air with his finger. Pentagrams. Lana's chest tightened. Yeah, those, and these weird-ass little dolls, too. Made out of twigs and brush string and shit and torn-up rags. I know some of it's from my Grateful Dead t-shirt. Blair Witch, baby, and it ain't good. (laughs) I need to see. Eddie shook his head. It's bad, Lana. Bad like that black circle. You can feel it. And there's blood on the snow. It looked fresh. A lot of blood and, you know, uh, entrails. Joe? He peed himself. I nearly did myself. What black circle? Kim demanded. We'll explain later. I need you to show me. If someone's coming this close to the house using dark magics, I have to see it. Counteract it. I knew you were going to say that. After scrubbing his hands over his face, Eddie dropped them. Let's just wait for Max, okay? Eddie, I need to see it. Then I can explain the symbolism to Max, and we can put together what's needed to counteract it. Um, and then I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. There's some chatter, and then they go to the Blair Witch spot. Blood, death, sex. She smelled it all, mixed and smeared together. Then she saw. Inverted pentagrams dangling for branches, 13 by 13 by 13. Blood splashed red over the white snow, and the gore was piled on a makeshift altar of stones where something had been gutted. The dolls, six human dolls and one four-legged. With the black beating against her, the white pulsing inside her, the absolute silence of air gone bitter thick and still, she knew and grieved. To test, power to power, she lifted a hand, pressed her light to the dark, felt the shock as it all but licked greedily at her palm. We need to go back. There are things I need. Max was one of them. Good idea. Sean took a step back, but froze at the sound of thrashing. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, that's a bear! Kim took a stumbling step back. Something's wrong with it, Eddie stated. He unstrapped the rifle from his back as Joe stopped quivering and growled low. The bear twitched and convulsed as it plodded forward, its eyes gleaming a sick yellow as it snapped at the air. Ugh, bad magic bear. I was really expecting there to be more, like creepy animal magic after that but yeah it never really well, picked up on that thread yeah i think we also forgot to say that eric and allegra like turned into dark magic birds of some kind so mm-hmm. then i wasn't clear if the bear was that a real bear or was it like just a magic bear yeah unclear unclear unimportant let's <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to what really matters Open plan kitchens. Yes. All right. So I am going to read 
a section that happens right after Lana and Max and their caravan have arrived in New Hope and they are being shown their real estate options in this new town. And this just sort of encapsulates all the good parts of this book, I think. And I will be Lana and the narrator and Kate will be Fred the tiny fairy lady. Steps led straight off the sidewalk to the porch. Fred opened the door. Somebody remodeled it, that open floor plan thing. Yes. It was airy, Lana thought, and had decent light, even with the small front windows. You can switch out the furniture if you want. Nobody minds if you switch things with another of the empty places. There won't be so many empty now. I'm glad. I can work with this. I'm so grateful for this. Whoever lived there had had clean, simple tastes. A sofa covered in a gray that made her think of Max's eyes, chairs in a pattern of gray and navy blue, tables of dark wood on a floor of golden oak, a fireplace with a wide mantle over it. But the kitchen pulled at her. They'd carried the flooring through so it read as one flowing space, areas defined by a counter of cream-colored wood covered in deep gray granite. She wandered in, clutched her hands together at the six-burner stove, the stainless appliances, the generous counter space. Double ovens, she thought, and wide atrium doors to bring in more light. It's a good kitchen. Everything's dusty, but... We'll clean it. It's a good house. There's a nice yard. They said there's a community garden. Are there herbs? Sure. We had to start a lot of them from seed, but we've got lots of herbs. I wonder if I can get some seed or transplant some. Who would I ask? I'm sort of in charge of that, so sure. Do you want to see upstairs? Yes. Katie said you were a chef in New York. I was. A sous chef. An under chef, she explained. I worked at Del Rey's three and a half years. I know Del Rey's. I mean, I read some reviews. I couldn't afford to actually eat there, but I read reviews. It was a hot spot. Those were the days. I'll cook for you. Really? If I get you cheese, can you make lasagna? If you get me the cheese, I'll make you the best lasagna you've ever tasted. We've got milk cows and a goat. If you have milk, you can get cheese and butter. Cheese is harder, but I'm working on it. I found a book, and I'm using nettles and thistles for the, uh, what is it? Rennet. That's damn clever, Fred. I made some cottage cheese, and it wasn't too bad. I'm a fairy, by the way. (laughs) Take me to this post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, when best. I said at the beginning that I had no post-apocalyptic survival skills in the intro, these are the post-apocalyptic survival skills that I actually do have. <laughs> I was going to say, like, you said that, and I was like, I don't know, you can, like, sew and bake and stuff. You can right, find like, a new hope. Like, if somebody just takes me to, like, the protected village, I can make clothes for people, I can cook, I can plant the garden. I just can't actually survive from terrifying New York City to the village itself. What if, though... What if you're a fairy and you don't know it yet? Oh, maybe. Maybe I have the fairy qualities within me waiting to be awakened. Yeah. Let's... Hopefully we never have to find out. But yeah, we'll... Let's we'll... <laughs> okay. Let's just do a quick uh, round of fucking marrying killing with Lana, Arlis, and Rachel. Okay. And just a reminder, this is, of course, our tribute to Bill O'Reilly. It is Jaren's only... 
So you have to always say fucking, marrying, and killing. <laughs> Got it. I think I would fucking Lana because she's yeah, a witch. Yeah, magic. Yeah. So like magic. Marrying Rachel because she's a doctor. And tragically, that would mean killing Arliss. I'm sorry, Arliss. Mm-hmm. I think Fred would step in and save Arliss, though. I'm the exact same set of answers. I, I'm also marrying Rachel because she has the most practical skills of anyone in this book. Despite the fact that it might make me a dark uncanny, I am killing Lana because I just find her so annoying. I could not <laughs> stand to either fucking or marrying her. <laughs> And then I guess I'm fucking Arliss because she doesn't actually get to fucking anybody in this book. So, mm. you know, she Perfect. should get some, too. <laughs> All right. Amen. All right. How about for the men? Max, Jonah, and Simon, who is the army captain from the end. I think I'm fucking Max because, again, magic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Marrying... Marrying Jonah because even though I think Simon probably has more post-apocalyptic skills, I liked Jonah more. Mm. And killing Simon because I just didn't particularly warm up to him by the in the short amount of pages that I knew him in the book. Mm. See, okay, yes, I'm fucking Max, but I think I'm marrying Simon and killing Jonah because I was sort of annoyed by Jonah and his, I don't know, the 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 narration of his crush on Rachel irritated me Mm-hmm. yeah I think I'm definitely marrying Simon because he has the best farm mm-hmm. um, I don't know it's a real tough call because I kind of want to killing both Jonah and Max because neither one of them I found them both very annoying but I guess if I have to fucking one of them it would be Max I mean he's a writer so that's good but also he seems horrible I don't know Hard call. Yeah. Sometimes that's just how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, would you rather eat at Lana's fancy pre-apocalypse restaurant or Steaks and Cakes, the fictional restaurant that only serves steaks and cakes? Uh, definitely Steaks and Cakes. Uh, you know, a fancy restaurant is one thing, but Steaks and Cakes is so loyal to us as our sponsor. And <laughs> where else am I going to get a whole steak and a whole cake? Nowhere. Yeah. Give me that cake. Well, I'm vegetarian and I can't eat gluten, so I'm going to have to go with Lana's restaurant. Mm, yeah. She does seem to make a lot of omelets and to be a fan of herbs and vegetables, and those are all things I like. Into it. Okay, um, we're going to jump into a real quick reader's advisory. We'll have a full list on our website, worstbestsellers.com, to see other things that we suggest reading instead of or in addition to this book. Um, so I already mentioned The Stand. It's good. The stand miniseries from the 90s is good. They're making a new stand miniseries. We'll see whether or not that's good. Um, and basically all my other knowledge of post-apocalyptic virus type things uh, will be up on the website. Uh, the one other one I'll shout out is The Children, which is a British horror movie that I really liked but haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, I have a few suggestions, but my my main one, I guess, is to explore the rest of the Nora Roberts witch Ovra, which is pretty mm. significant. She has a lot of series that include a similar kind of like hand wavy magic system. None of the none of the others are post a lot post apocalyptic, however. So if you are more into like 
witches who run bookstores or witches who are also librarians, there's a Nora Roberts book for you out there. Yes, can't wait. Catherine, you had listed A Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse. Yes, yeah. Which I also have read, and I I think it's great for what it is. I was sort of misled as to what it was, and it is very much this kind of post-apocalyptic thing. And so I read it, and I was like, oh, no, it's gross, and I don't like this world. Like, nothing against the book, just me being like, oh, no. Oh, mm-hmm. no, it's this. But it's very, it's innovative and different um, and, and drawing on the author's own native traditions, which is cool. Yes. But it's very grim. Just FYI. It is. Yeah, I just started it, so I haven't gone through the whole book, but it is definitely very dark. So if that side of year one appeals to you, then I think Trail of Lightning could be a great match. Totes. Cool. Okay, we'll have all those up on our website, worstbestsellers.com, and more that we won't say because we're running out of time. Very quick, what's everyone's candy pairing? Mine is Little Debbie Snack Cakes because Fred is able to keep those going throughout the apocalypse, and uh, they're delicious. Yeah, I said peanut M&Ms because they have their shelf stable for a long time, and they've got protein, so they can fuel you as you make your desperate um, journey from New York to Ohio to Virginia or wherever it is that they end up. And I said fresh bread because every time they mentioned bread, I wanted bread to the point where uh, when I was listening to this at work one day, I actually went across the street on my lunch break and brought bread that I then ate. And now I want more. Mm, bread. Bread. <sighs> okay. Now it is time for the Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Catherine will choose which most enhances the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would have been a side character in New Hope. He'd have arrived not long after Arliss and Fred and the rest of the gang settled the town, and he'd be leading his own crew of scrappy survivors, and everyone in town would love him, and he'd be one of the only people who could talk Kurt Rove and the other magical racists down from their magical racism. And he would also serve on the town council, and the day that Allegra and Eric and the Purity Warriors attacked the city, uh, he would have been, like, totally on top of things enough to tackle Allegra and Eric and help Max and Lana take them out. And there would still be, like, probably a few tragic casualties of background characters we didn't know very well, and, you know, some people mortal, uh, some people badly wounded, but Max would survive, and the rest of the book would be about them rebuilding New Hope into a safer, more secure town, and, like, baking a lot more bread bread okay meanwhile wolverine would have been hanging out in a sadness cave in the mountains near where eric's friends have their cabin uh flynn the elf of course would have just let him take all the beer he wanted from the store they'd be bros and wolverine would have just been chilling in his cave with his beer but his keen supernatural senses would alert him to the presence of dark magics he'd call in a favor from his teen girl squad and Alana Rasputin aka Magic with a Y and a K would take out Eric and Allegra and cut all of that off before it got out of hand before poor sweet nerdy Sean had to die for their dark magic but he'd still warn them that they should probably get out of there and get moving south so the crew would still go and find New Hope um, but Eric and Allegra would be permanently dead and, uh, and Sean would still be around This is a tough call, but I think I'm going to have to go with Rock because I just love the idea of the Rock, like, helping the magical races see the error of their ways and confronting their flawed belief system. 
so that we can, you know, move towards healing and bread. Mm, a beautiful thing. Excellent. <sighs> All right. Uh, what is the moral of the story besides just bread? <laughs> Which is, of course, one of the main morals. <laughs> My moral of the story is, I guess hunting is bad. Because I don't know if we actually really got into that at the beginning of the summary, but it is the hunt killing of a pheasant or something for them to take home to eat that kind of starts this whole thing because of a accidental blood sacrifice that one of the brothers had done in the Stone Circle in Scotland many years ago, or Ireland so yeah, hunting is mm-hmm. bad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is if you find yourself in a post-apocalyptic, I can't say post-apocalyptic, and I've had to say it so many times. If you find yourself after the end of the world, I guess maybe don't try to kill yourself immediately, no matter how bad things seem, because maybe a hot farmer and some hot bread are just waiting for you around the corner. Bread. Bread. Um, and my moral of the story was, don't worry, because there will still be Coke after the world ends. They drink a lot of Coke in this book, and I was just soothed in general by the prevalence of, like, packaged, branded products after the apocalypse. <laughs> Capitalism endures. Yes, yes. All right, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte weighs in on this book. <laughs> All right. Duarte, you're right. It was confusing and weird that people only had pet dogs in this because I really feel like New Hope could have benefited from some cats to protect their grain sources and stuff. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I like to think that maybe the cats started their own, like, little cat society somewhere, and that's why we don't really see them a lot. Yeah. Are you describing warriors? I guess, yes. (laughs) Yes. I guess I am, in fact, describing (laughs) warriors. Yeah, the cats have wisely removed themselves from this whole situation, Mm. and they're just living elsewhere, self-sustained. Yeah. So that's pretty good, Duarte. Maybe you could just write your year one fan fiction about that. All right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? You know, I'll read the rest of these. (laughs) Yeah, I I already am. (laughs) Yeah, I want to check in on Fallon Swift, named for Our Lady Taylor Swift. All right, yeah, so I guess I guess the moral is, uh, Nora Roberts, do whatever you want. Just yeah, do whatever we're... you want, because you're Nora fucking Roberts. And we'll still read it. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, if you want more of Nora Roberts, just go to any bookstore or library or just anywhere in the world you can find Nora Roberts. If you want more of us, you can find us on social media. We're um, facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. We're also on Twitter at worst bestseller with no S. The S was lost in a blood sacrifice, and uh, hopefully that won't have any repercussions going forward. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group that is best accessed directly from our website, worstbestsellers.com. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify now. And if you do subscribe to us on any of those services, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pushes us up further on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. If you don't rate and review us, then we might be forced to shoot down a pheasant in an ancient magical stone circle where a blood sacrifice accidentally happened many years ago, thus starting the end of the world. And, you know, that's just going to be a lot of work for everyone. 
Uh, you can also subscribe to us on Patreon, where you can pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes towards things like paying our editor and our website hosting and all sorts of other cool stuff. Buying us bread. Buying us bread. Uh, you can find that at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. And uh, one of the things that we have done with our Patreon money is hired commissioned some artists to redo our logo and to do a logo for Rock Paper Snicked, which we have put on merchandise. Uh, you can find our shop by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on store. And there's all sorts of cool stuff in there. T-shirts and tote bags and clocks and scarves and all sorts of things uh, so that you can wear our podcast on your body. Even in the end times, until someone treads it and makes a Blair Witch doll out of your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, if you want to follow just me personally on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks. If you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at 14 Across. And I am the co-host of a podcast called Truer Words. It's about creative careers and the work of making art. And you can find us on Instagram at Truer Words Podcast, on Twitter at Truer Words Pod, and in the Apple Podcast Store by searching Truer Words. And if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, my Twitter handle is Benson Ka, that's B-E-N-S-O-N-K-A. Yeah, uh, you should definitely check out Truer Words Podcast. The first episode up is with um, Adrian Kistner, who yes. I enjoyed... Kisner? Kisner. Mm, yes. yes. Yeah. Nobody. It's the podcast they say it, right? <laughs> Adrian um, is the author of Dear Rachel Maddow, which is a fantastic YA novel currently yes. out. Buy her book, yes. too. Yes. And she explained that Rachel Maddow has not yet sued her, which is reassuring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we um, thank you again, Catherine, for joining us and spreading the word of Nora. Always my pleasure. And we'll be back in two weeks with Naked in Death by J.D. Robb, who, if you don't know, is secretly Nora Roberts in disguise. Very exciting. By you, I mean you, the listener, Catherine, obviously you know the door. Oh, I know all of Nora's secret identities. Yes. <laughs> uh, and someday you'll just tell us all of them. Mm -hmm. But for now, we'll stick with JD. All right. Um, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.